Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Hello and welcome to the fourth in a series of summer specials of Naylor's Natter. This week I'm in conversation with Professor Michael Young. This podcast has been quite some time in the making and it was planned to be recorded at Research Ed Rugby, but due to travel issues, unfortunately, Professor Young wasn't able to be there. So, listeners will be aware of the canon of work that Professor Young has been involved in, including 1971's Seminal Knowledge and Control and his hugely influential collection of essays, 2008, Bringing Knowledge Back In. So I asked Professor Young about the topic of his keynote at Research Ed Rugby, my misunderstandings of social mobility, powerful knowledge and the re-professionalisation of teaching, including the involvement of subject associations and the Chartered College. I have sat on this podcast for quite some time and to the poor quality of the audio. So unfortunately, on the night of the interview, I experienced some sound leakage from the headphones, which caused something of an echo. So after quite a sizable period of deliberation, I've decided to release it uh, as the power of Professor Young's intellect and his experience of decades in education must be shared wherever possible. So grab the dog lead, put on the running shoes, grab the car keys, or just sit back and relax for this week's podcast with Professor Michael Young. I started off by asking Professor Young if he could tell us the themes of his presentation for Research Ed Rugby. Um, I called call it Passing Knowledge is a Critical Principle of All Pupils, the Problems of Transforming a Theory into Practice. And I started with a bit of history. Because I think that anything of this, issue of this kind, I mean, if you're a teacher in a school, right, teacher in a school, you're faced with immediate things. But we're standing back a little bit as researchers, and therefore we need to ask, where does the present predicament come from? That gives us an opportunity to reflect. So I was telling you a little bit of history in terms of the two phases of what I call mass secondary education. Uh, which, in a sense, began really seriously after the 1944 Education Act, uh, which was called Secondary Education for All, which, of course, it wasn't. Um, And I distinguish between two phases, uh, the period from the 1960s to to, to, to 2010, which we were trying to, was really trying to cope with the massive expansion of kids who previously left school at 15 or 16. So in a sense, it was a massive, what I call a de-academicization of the curriculum for these new people who were interpreted as being, but they weren't necessarily, low achievers. You look at all those projects like mathematics for the majority, history or science for the young school leaver. There was an assumption there that in a sense there were two kinds of knowledge, two kinds of kids, because they wouldn't be able to manage the knowledge that in fact the academic kids were um, doing. And um, that took various forms. TBI was one of them. And during the period of the 30 years of um, Labour government, uh, we, we had the national curriculum, which is a fairly formal kind of academic-based curriculum, uh, and in a sense, what Labour tried to do 
is to expand participation by loosening the boundaries of knowledge. And so, in a sense, uh, kids were free to choose more, to, to make choices earlier, to, and to do different kinds of courses. And it was that, in a sense, diversification that, in fact, the coalition government, led by Michael Gove, wanted to reverse. So we had what I call their re-academisation for all pupils. And in a sense, what I was going to talk a little bit about then was the fact that each of these phases in different ways had to uh, tackle and issue what I call the rupture of the, between the culture of the home of many, many kids and the culture of the school. And that in fact, this was in, uh, in a sense, and ironically, given the politics, the de-academicization was an attempt to solve the rupture problem as a problem, and the re-academicization was, in a sense, a kind of attempt to see it as a possibility. So that was set the thing out, and then I have a, um, a, uh, a section I was going to talk about how we think about how we conceptualize the curriculum. And uh, the dominant way that the knowledge-led curriculum from the Gove era, because in a sense, the, 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 poli the, the politicians had much more influence on this from the point of view of the teachers, than in a sense, uh, the academics like me, who came up with some of the ideas beforehand. And, um, uh, and the, the, the thing that I want to emphasize most is that, in fact, the, the the curriculum has been seen as a stipulated and sequencing of knowledge content. Now, I don't object to that, but I, what I am critical of, increasingly become aware of, and I feel is responsible for that one. But in fact, a curriculum is something that actually is delivered in the schools, not just a framework. And that in fact, if you focus only on knowledge content, you don't focus on the resources human material and sports sources that are actually needed to make the concepts and uh, to make the content accessible. Don't. Um, so that was the that uh, that should be a big debate which hasn't been on how we conceptualize the curriculum. Next section uh, I wanted to talk about the relationship between curriculum and pedagogy. Because what unfortunately I think has happened, not in all schools, but in some and certainly ones I've had contact with, is that in fact People have assumed, not necessarily teachers, but policymakers, people like Nick Gibbon and so forth. All they've assumed is somewhere you stipulate the context, you should play down the importance of pedagogy, which actually transforms the context into the consciousness of peoples. So, in a sense, I was wanting to have a, a, a brief discussion about the relationship between curriculum and pedagogy and how we need to change that. Uh, 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 if, in fact, the idea of a part knowledge for all kids is going to become reality. And I then, uh, at the last section, I then say that the other thing that we actually can't avoid is, is in fact, seeing the curriculum in its wider context and both educational and broader political. And in educational terms, curriculum is obviously a stipulated content, but it's also a 
pedagogy practice, and therefore you can't have a new curriculum unless you've rethought your initial and further professional development. It's also something that needs to be uh, assessed and accountable, and if you keep the old model of assessment and accountability, you will actually get, you won't actually get a knowledge-based curriculum, you will get an assessment-based curriculum. And uh, these are some of the contexts which then I hoped we would have that gathering uh, have a big debate about it. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And obviously you weren't able to be there, but all of the delegates that were there uh, were given a copy of the Chartered College's Impact magazine, which uh, your article was... The yes, yes, I do remember that. I wrote something into that. Yes, yes. Yes, yes indeed. And, and I just wonder if I could pick up a little bit on that, if that's okay. Yes, yes, yes I do, do, do. do. Mm. So, so we should be... Okay, what I said, I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the article is the knowledge-led curriculum pitfalls and possibilities, and I think we, we've touched on a few of the, the pitfalls there in terms yes, of yes, yes, talking I, about. No, 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 I agree. Would you okay, be able to I mean, mean, so you've got some questions about that you want to ask me. Well, I just wondered if you could expand a little bit, maybe, uh, for listeners, in terms of what we see as the possibilities for a knowledge-led curriculum. Uh... Yeah, well, first of all, I do think that, in fact, you can't avoid needing a stipulated sequence content that is coherent uh, from year to year. You, you do need that. I'm not at all... I, I don't much agree with E. D. Hirsch but, uh, and his way of formulating it, because I think it, it leads to an, an, an elective pedagogy. But I do think that that... That is an important, but it's only one part of a much more, if you like, important role for the teachers, uh, and in a sense. And that, that is, is the, which I touch on, I think, in the, in, in the paper. And, and that is to just, uh, I think I've got two things I'd stress. One is the extent to which for many kids, culture of a subject like chemistry or history is very alien to them. And that's why I use the word some structure. And somehow or other, uh, as teachers, I don't think I thought about this when I was a school teacher, um, and I don't I think that well, anyway. Uh, but I think that that is a, that is a core issue uh, that the knowledge and curriculum it's almost it's hidden curriculum that, and uh, that needs to be thought of. The the the, the connection uh, to that is that I would like to see us try and rethink pedagogy, so that in a sense, a school doesn't just have a curriculum principle, but it has pedagogic principle, which actually uh, gives some guides to teachers to how they relate to their students and the knowledge. And uh, because if we don't do that, the, particularly the weaker teachers, and one of the things about that, that says to me that's really important is that when teachers feel under pressure, they're in a sense, uh, and this is really what why I was critical of the, of the 2000s, the period of the Labour, Labour governments. And I've always voted for Labour. It's not a political thing. I'm political. Uh, so um, but in fact, uh, 
People often find it easier to address issues of interest and the, and the world outside of school to kids when somewhere around their, their professionalism, if they're dedicated to the idea of a knowledge curriculum, must actually be to constantly be bringing the pupils back to engaging with knowledge. And, and I think that we need to rethink how we structure the curriculum. And one of the things, a colleague of mine, I've been thinking about recently, is how do we actually make elections for kids, to, to senior kids, who actually have progressed quite a lot in the subject, but, but, but are not experts in it. That in fact, the school is full of people who are on the way to becoming chemists or physicists or historians or whatever. And so there's an enormous amount. Now, I'm, and I'm not trying to be naive because I'm very well aware of all the pressures that are under the teachers, the inspection framework, the ranking, the hierarchy, and so forth. But nevertheless, we need to have a a better model than I think we've managed to develop up to now. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, thank you for that. Uh, I've just got a few more questions if we go sort of going no, a little bit further, right. further back. So I just wondered, we've talked a lot about knowledge and we've talked about pedagogy, but I just wondered if we could bring the debate round to a little bit about powerful knowledge and it's, it's leading to greater social mobility. So I guess the question is, how do you think that powerful knowledge-led curriculum lead to greater social mobility and less, equi- less inequality? Yeah, well, I wouldn't make separation between the two. Okay. I don't think it makes any contribution to social mobility. Right, OK. Uh, and social mobility is quite a different phenomenon because you only get, you only get social mobility. And because one thing, we're always talking about only talking about upward mobility, the social mobility is actually some people going down, being in a worse position than their families. And uh, we had a lot of social mobility in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, because, in fact, we had the expansion of the whole division of labor. There were more places at the top. Now, if, in fact, you don't have much change, and we're getting into that situation now, the more places, the only way in which you can improve social mobility is some people who currently get to the top going down. So I, I think the, and that's, that's uh, I think, really thinking through this. Second thing that I think is important is that, in fact, all the countries that have, uh, that have, um, much lower inequality. I'm thinking in particular countries like the Netherlands, Denmark, the Scandinavian countries. Um, the uh, they have inequality, but the differences between the different parts of the system. You know, things like the academic vocational. Once you get on the vocational, I mean, I did a lot of work in one part on the vocational. Once you get on the vocational course, then the chances of you getting back on, and I'm, I don't know whether you're a fan, I'm not, of BTEC science, because I think it avoids the knowledge question. And then how do you pick that up again later? Very, very difficult. And if you, you know, if you get people coming to places like UCL where I am, and uh, who've not got the knowledge, then they will struggle. So I think that there are some really important issues there, and it's difficult for me to be uh, 
Definitely, and it leads to another question, if I may, around that. And you, you, directly, yeah, yeah. you directly address BTEC science, and I've got experience of teaching that. And now um, we at the school that I'm working at now do triple award science for the classes that maybe traditionally would have done the BTEC approach. Now, the question really is then, you know, you hear it not necessarily from our school, but from, from other schools that, you know... <laughs> around the, the, the children well what about the children who are not academic then does this mean that powerful knowledge doesn't apply to them is it is something that I hear a lot well, yeah, I'm, uh, um, I don't think that um, I, I think that categorise one, one has to find one has to least I'm maybe sounding serious but uh, <clears throat> We have, we have to find, find a way, at least theoretically, of not typing children as academic or not academic. We have to have a model of them as learners and the uh, and what they're looking for. Some find it more difficult than others, but they're looking for acquiring knowledge. Uh, and, and in a sense, we're not we're not classifying learners uh, at least. Theoretically, inevitably it happens in school, and I'm blaming any teacher or anything like that. So I think that that's, uh, that is, you know, really important. Because, in a sense, you can't, I mean, I think the reason why we, I suppose, the, one of the reasons why the, the question of powerful knowledge came up is that, in fact, uh, I mean, if you, if you, Understand the the abstractions underlying the new concepts. You can actually imagine things you don't already know about. If you're trapped in the particular, then in a sense you're trapped. But the, the, the what 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 um what the reason why subjects are actually powerful, I think is because, in fact, if you can grasp the concepts of the subject, then, in a sense, you're not trapped where you were, whether it's sociology. I mean, I'm finding exactly the same with my MA doctoral students at the Institute. Um, and as, as I did, I don't think I thought about it much uh, when I was teaching things like residency as a chemistry teacher. But nevertheless, the point, I think, is exactly the same. I think we have to, we still, we haven't quite escaped Research hasn't quite escaped, um, and uh, we, we, we have to have a concept of people interest that is actually, that is knowledge-based, even if they don't present it so. Okay? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, in terms I, but I don't, I'm not trying to be naive, you know, because I'm being a school teacher, and I know you do find yourselves... One does. Uh, I mean, the, the, the only experiment that I ever did when I was a school teacher was that, in fact, I abolished setting in science. So I called all my sets um, by names of scientists, and um, I distributed people arbitrarily in the different sets. I didn't 
do the kind of empirical work to see whether that actually improved our results, but it was a kind of example of that. So that in fact, because what I found, I remember, was that in fact, once you find yourself in a love set, you start to think like what it's like to be in. No, anyway, go on. More no, questions, saying, that's fine. Yeah, is that okay? So, um, I read Knowledge in the Future School in 2017, um, and I, I really think that the influence of it is quite palpable on the current educational landscape. And this is just my personal views. I, I can feel its influence through Ofsted Framework, for example, the Early Careers Framework, and the rise of the Chartered College, and, and what you might say is the resurgence of subject associations. But I guess, yeah. what, what do you think are the challenges now in terms of what you were called future three schools? Well, um, well I think the challenges are really how, one, how a school builds a tradition that doesn't depend upon its current staff. But in a sense, uh, there might be a group of teachers I mean, I'm aware of this uh, in terms, uh, in practical terms, um, but in fact, I don't have many colleagues uh, in my current, my discipline of sociology of education who think in the same kind of way that I've been talking to you about. And I feel that that is a kind of loss of tradition, which is, I think, worrying. Because one of the things that um, I think people... Uh, uh, forget, and um, even, you know, universities forget, much of the schools, and that is the extent, the extent to which uh, successful education has always got this conservative element. It's trying to pass on. I pass on so that, you know, knowledge builds on knowledge, but it's passing on. It's, it's, it's never going to be in more... If education is going to be transformative, it's not because it's changing the world. It's because of it's helping more people to think how the world is changeable. No, definitely. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, anyway, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Do you mind if I ask if we've got a couple more questions now? No, no, no feel free. Right, well, well, I was originally due to be joined by Ruth Walker at Research Ed. Now, she's used your work quite extensively in terms of her blogging and when she goes out and speaks at conferences. So I'm just going to read one of her questions, if that's OK. OK, that's fine. Right, so she's, she's written that some people see the debate in education as working like a pendulum, swinging from one side to another, uh, and that while there's a current focus on curriculum and high expectations, which is very amenable to powerful knowledge, uh, that the pendulum will inevitably swing back and will return to a period of dumbing down, as she puts it, and a focus on non-existent transferable skills. Um, and I, she feels that Future 3 articulates an alternative to a pendulum situation and also the increased awareness of cognitive science has meant that the debate is turning a corner and might be not consigned to watch the pendulum swing forevermore. So what, what do you think about that pendulum?
Let me do this about things like pendulum theories, uh, because in a sense, what they, uh, they're, they're just their ways of, um, I mean, I, uh, I mean, how could you, how could you want to swing, I mean, what would one swing back to? I'd be, a, you know, I'm critical of what's happening now, primarily because the teachers like you and others I've met, and there are some excellent uh, heads and deputies, leaders, I know, for instance, uh, you probably know Christine Council very well, yeah, very imaginative, you know, um, but in fact, then look at, well, I don't need to tell you this, but you look at the reduction of resources in peer to, uh, you know, per pupil, and then you're expected to be able to innovate. And um, so, I mean, I think that that is never grasped, the resource base of the curriculum. Uh, and um, I, I, uh, I mean, Future Free was a kind of, um, a kind of attempt at optimism, the possibilities, you know, it was about that. And it has to be explored in different, different, different kinds of way. But I mean, um, my own feeling is that in a sense, what happens probably is that the tense of future three, what I, well, I'll step back a bit, sorry. Um, what I see happening is that actually we're getting a reverse to future one. That in fact the pressures on the schools are such that in fact, and I don't know whether you come across, but what strikes me is that people are reading all this stuff in cognitive science, which talks about the importance of memory. Have you come across this stuff? Yes, absolutely, all the time. Yes. It's quite popular, but the emphasis on that immediately becomes memorization. It doesn't become thinking. And it's the argument that it's the foundation of thinking. Well, memorized knowledge is not the foundation of thinking. Uh, and I, I, get, I get extremely worried that, in fact, this is given a kind of academic credibility by, in fact, people who, from discipline, that doesn't originate from focusing on uh, teachers. So I think there's a, uh, uh, that, that, that is a very dangerous development. Um, and uh, because it doesn't... It doesn't mean, and I'm sure we, could, we would agree on that, it doesn't mean that in fact there is no memorization not involved in education. Of course there is. You know, I mean, whether it's chemistry or whatever. Uh, but in fact, um, what uh, it always has to be seen as a means and not an end in itself. And um, I think that in a sense what I see happening is that in fact history is becoming like future one which treated the knowledge and is more treated knowledge more like information than knowledge. Mm. Because the other thing that I think that maybe I, we haven't, I haven't written clearly enough about and need to and so forth is that in fact uh, powerful knowledge has its limitations in a very fundamental way that it, it tends to emphasize the body of knowledge on the curriculum, what it doesn't emphasize is that, in fact, the aim of teaching is that the pupils develop a relationship to that knowledge. A so that, in a sense, when they, have, when they have a concept, like in chemistry, a concept like valency, they can actually use it in lots of different ways. 
They haven't just learned that valency is this, or that in fact, you know, uh, it goes this way on one bit of the periodic table and that way and that. They haven't just learned those facts. They are facts, but they haven't learned them. What they've learned is a concept that enables them to think about things that they don't know about. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that the, the, this movement now towards teachers becoming I mean I probably use the wrong word so forgive me for this but the, the sort of the, the re-professionalisation if that's even a word of that's teachers excellent. that is excellent in terms um, of the, 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 I think it's very important but yeah. there's a lot of crap literature on professional development yes uh, you know and, um, and I think it's really important that the debate is had about what re-professionalisation means and I mean for instance I'm I feel very, very strongly uh, that, understood rightly, that particularly, and I'm, I, I, I don't really get engaged with the debates about primary education, uh, that, um, that highly professional teachers are some expressions. Yes. Yes, and I think that's the premise for the question in terms of what Ruth was asking. So those of us who trained, I mean, I trained at the turn of the millennia, so uh, it was a yeah. very progressive course that we were used. And, and there was a prevailing theme that good teachers can teach anything. It's, it's the... Well, I think that's rubbish. Well, absolutely. And those of us that were raised in... in I couldn't thing, even... Uh, I used to read when I had to take biology class. Not because I didn't know there was a bit of biology, but I didn't have the, the back. I wasn't a member of that. I think subjects are communities. And I was a member, to some extent, of a chemistry community. And therefore, I, I had a, a kind of breadth to how I would relate to kids. When I was in biology, I just knew the particular. You know, and it would be the same. Uh, that's why I hated being a supply teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it, it's along those lines of that that you know it, it, the early careers framework, for example, is now talking about this idea that teacher exposition is something to be encouraged if it comes from a standpoint of professional knowledge of the teacher. Whereas when I trained, it was very much seen as the knowledge was in the room and it was your job to facilitate oh, yeah, the yeah. discovery. I mean, uh, no, no, I, I, I think I, I mean, mean I, I find it rather ironic that. Um, that the um, that it's actually uh, particularly somebody who's voted Labour all his life that um, the it's been a Conservative government that has emphasised this succession of Conservative governments. But the problem is that they have done it at the same time as thinking they can do it with reducing funds. No, absolutely, and that and that is a a big challenge in terms of. It has to be that has to be that head on that hypocrisy at the absolute heart of conservative education policy. And it was, you know, and it was hypocrisy at the heart of Gove, and he never really the the pity that it was that the teachers or the teacher unions they attacked him rightly, but they attacked him for the wrong reasons. They they should have attacked him to say, look. If you're serious about a knowledge-led curriculum, it's going to cost you more. Brilliant. But anyway, that was just to say that. that in fact, I find it very helpful to have this dialogue because I know that I'm one of the things that I'm aware of about the knowledge-led curriculum is, is that in fact, it's extraordinarily difficult. It's going against the grain of public education. For years, it will assume differentiation 
of you know is normal. And, and what Lawrence Richardson saying is that it's not normal. Normal is that in fact any kid can have access to this knowledge. I mean, it, w- it would be fascinating to continue the discussion. I mean, one of the, one of the things that, that when I'm asked to talk sometimes at some of these conferences yeah. is around this idea that um, Blackpool, if you know the area, um, previously, it, before it became an area that's now got a lot of funding through opportunity areas and a research school, was oh, yeah. designated an area to have a self-improving, uh, it was the Blackpool Challenge it was called, a self-improving education system. And when I go out and talk about these things, it, it's almost, well... We were trying to self-improve by selecting pockets of excellence or subjective excellence and then mimicking them, putting them out of context and trying to get to generate a self-improving system where the research schools and the knowledge-led curriculum and the reprofessionalization of teachers I've talked about before seems to have given us something objective to work towards rather than those pockets of subjective excellence, which... Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, in, uh, I mean uh, one of the things that, 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 that in relation to that that, that I've learned over the years is that, in fact, you have to... Almost all educational credit in school, you have to start with subjects. Mm. The, the sort of mantra that goes back to people like Rousseau is you start with a child... I actually think you start with the subject because the subject is what the school's got to offer the kids. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then you work out how the subject can be sequenced so that the kids can relate to it. Mm. Mm. But don't start with sweeping, I mean, I can't bear 21st century skills, uh, any of those things. I think they're all kind of uh, a distraction. Um, and uh, uh, it, uh, there is some rhetoric. It's a very good thing. Uh, X, uh, I don't know, do, do, do you read any of uh, Christine Castle's stuff? Some, yes, some, yeah. And uh, she's got this blog which she writes about um, the, uh, the children of generalization. Generalization is children. Yeah. It's about what happens, particularly in history, she's her, her field, when, in a sense, they pick up these general theories, whether it's Bloom or something like that, and they impose them onto the teaching of history. Mm-hmm. And the means that people don't actually learn history anymore. No, I mean, I wonder sometimes, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before uh, earlier on, but I wonder whether things like 21st century skills and this idea that anybody can teach anything is a way of making it easier to recruit teachers without having to pay quite as much money. Well, I think, think, you know, know, I mean, uh, (laughs) I don't think... That's a deliberately provocative question. I'm I'm, I'm aware of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, um, we have... um, I mean, one thing that I would... Can I ask you a question? Of course, yeah. yeah. One, one of the things I've found, and that's why I'm particularly glad to have this conversation with, with you, one of the things I've found since I've been involved in, particularly in the more school-based focus of this, that in fact I have very good and constructive relationships with geographers, with historians, with RE teachers, with English, although they are spikes prickly, but what I don't have is conversation with my former subject. I can't get science teachers to think about powerful knowledge at all. 
Interesting. I, I, I wonder whether, and I mean, in terms of, we talked again about recruitment, retention, it, it's always been difficult for schools to recruit scientists. Um, well, you know, yeah, 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 I, I, I think, think that, that, that's part of the problem. And I mean, if you do a history degree, there are not many other choices to what to do with your life. No, exactly. So you get very good people. I don't think you don't get good science teachers, but, you know, um, history and English degrees, you know, the the tops of them, the people that get first, go to teaching. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I didn't get a good degree in chemistry, and the stuff that I I got a job easily. Yeah. And I wish I had. I mean, I got interested in chemistry more by being a teacher. I didn't really like my two years chemistry class, and I feel ashamed that I wasted this opportunity that most people don't have but anyway that's a separate issue um i think it's an interesting question i mean in terms of the the, the subject associations and, and things like that so i mean it, the, the AS, ASC, for example i'm a member of, of that and i do a lot of you know that's good. Quite good things there, are they? Mm, yeah, that's really good. good yeah and, and, and the um, journals that come out uh, through those there's uh, there's a guy who's almost my kind of mentor who's written about this called david layton do you know yes i have yeah 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 and i mean he wrote very interestingly about that whole area, you know, and about subject associations. And in a sense, um, they were all created about the turn of the last century. The, the uh, you know, the originals, uh, what was it called? SMA, Science Masters and Science Ministers. Before it was ASE, had another name, didn't it? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it did. Um, but in fact, they were all called, they were all established at that particular time. Uh, and, you know, they are, they are very, very, very important. Uh, but when I talk to people, they tell me, for instance, the humanities people, the English people, they struggle to, to maintain their, their associations. No, I think the Chartered College is doing some good work there in terms of, you know, the, the journals that they produce. I mentioned the impact before and, and the way that they've gone about using their, their influence to for new teachers, for example, or, or encouraged to join the Chartered College, so that there is a movement back towards the professional associations, and, and maybe that will move back into subjects, maybe at some point. Uh, that's good. I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, having written uh, that thing for that issue, I, I, I would like to have had some more contact with the Chartered College, because I think it's, I mean, that they are in a big decision, because their funding comes to the end next year, and then they have to be on their own, i.e. they have to run subscriptions, and, and they, they have, you know, they've, they've got, got to get, get a lot of people. Mm. No, I'm sure. Mm. But, but I think it's, it's very promising. promising. And I, I think, think um, what's her name, Alison Peacock. Alison Peacock, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I find her very refreshing when I've heard her speak. No, she's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm, very, very. Uh, but um, anyway... Um, well, well, that's not, I mean, come back to me if you want to, you know. No, I was just going to say, I'm just conscious of your time, and I really appreciate you giving up your time in the evening. So if we can, we'll just wrap it up there for the podcast by me just yeah. saying thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate yeah, it. Okay, that's fine. Hello, everyone. You are listening to my dad on the podcast Neighbours Matter. Follow him on Twitter at PNA1977. Remarkable insights there from Professor Young and I'm eternally grateful to Jude Hunton and all the staff at Rugby School for facilitating that interview. 
So moving into the shameless plugs section, and we're now moving into the exciting back to school period. So we're putting back to the regular Friday podcast, and I've got some very exciting developments coming up, including some partnership with some leading CPD providers. And Nailers Natter has got some exciting guests in the pipeline, including Dame Alison Peacock and Doug Lamov. So watch this space. Hope everyone has enjoyed the summer break and is ready and raring to go for another year. I know that I am. So see you next time on Nailers Natter. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers.